Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, um, we covered some ground, didn't we? As we always do. <laughs> Reflecting we on did, last yeah. night's show. Yeah. We... Reflecting on last night's show? Last night's show. Well, actually, you did do a show last yeah, night. Yeah, no, and we no didn't I didn't mean that. It. But I meant last night's game, which I didn't see. <laughs> But you got bitter on my behalf, which is I good. Yeah. Um, we hear that. We had the book club, uh, yeah, a fantastic golf that. book, an unbelievable story. Uh, Luke Moore came in and saw us, as he always does, on a Tuesday. And also Steve Hartley was in the voice of Talk Sport. What a voice. Yeah, he was on good form telling us about some of his new projects. Quite exciting. Yeah, actually. Good, yeah. Actually. So here it all is. <laughs> Richard Paris wrote this to The Sun this morning. I must mm. say, I enjoyed it. What a comeback by Tiger Woods. Yeah, thanks. After a decade on the rocks, yes, with seriously, da, 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 we know all that. He's fought his way back to the top with his master's win, like a true champ. The old saying, form will come and go, but class is permanent. Sure is true in his case, but that's not the saying. That's not the it? saying, is it? <laughs> really? <laughs> You're going to use it. Get yeah. the saying right. Get the saying right. Form After will stating come and the obvious go. for four lines, it's great. <laughs> but it's always the nature of a letter to a newspaper, isn't it? Sum mm. up exactly what has happened in the last 24, 48 hours, and then have a little payoff yeah a little powerful which may or may not be the original quote i think i've gone off form now I'm, uh, the uh, the star aren't publishing your letters <laughs> i've had two maybe you've gone a bit highbrow i've for had them. two failures in my last been two using too many long words yeah and i was george rr R. J- jenkins the other day but they didn't publish that one. Oh, okay i thought it was good but you'll come back to it, andy Keep, I know. Well, what else you got for us i have got uh, some stuff about last night's game yeah actually. now I, I didn't see it so you're gonna i only saw the Brief highlights this morning. You're going to have to tell me. You were uh, live with Marty. I was. Yeah, I should How thank. I should thank the Talksport listeners uh, who came and said hello. Came along with the gig. It was a. Uh, it was. There's only one John Motton. It was a kind of look back on uh, Motty's career, and uh, he was on great form. You know, he was telling uh, some of the old war stories from back in the day, talking about his rivalry with uh, Barry behind the scenes, doing his impressions of Jimmy Hill, which is mm. always very good, and stories Did about. Did you and Barry ever have a fight? No, they. No, they. They were. They, they, they admit they weren't buzz and buzz because there was that kind of professional rivalry, but they, they get on very well. They still see each other uh, now and keep in touch. Well, so nice, uh, they got through all that, considering... And he makes that point, so I'd not really thought, thought of. There isn't that kind of battle for supremacy now to be the number one commentator 
uh, in the same way because when they did match of the day there were two games on there would be two matches That's very true. so you had two commentators yeah. whereas now you've got eight to ten commentators regularly doing game every, every game's every it's game on match of the day is shown, so. I bet they still doesn't Steve Wilson still think he's sort of number one well I don't I mean no, they've got Pierce. they've got three or four very good yeah. commentators that, still that think do Jonathan the big Pierce games is excellent I yeah, do yeah, yeah. so anyway thanks to all the listeners who, who came good. out and, uh, and watched it but it did mean that I was uh, reliant on uh, the highlights this morning yeah uh, it would have annoyed Arsenal. you if you'd watched the whole game it was such a spawny win for Arsenal obviously honestly really they, it was an untidy performance from Arsenal I mean you know Bambang was quick for the goal but it was a you know it was a poor effort from Foster and uh, obviously the foul by Dini was ridiculous And as, but it's true if, if Torreira is so much smaller than Dini if, if it was Xhaka it would have hit him in the chest it would have done you know so it was a little yeah, bit but, I think, but it was still it was right. a daft thing to do no, I mean his arm, especially, his arm, especially if you've said it before the game yeah. I'm going to hit them very early yeah is the ref's going to be looking the for it the arm comes out and you, you know yeah. it, was a, it was daft he'll realise that now won't he no, surely they will yeah um, it was a very interesting moment actually This and this will happen next year when Andre Gray was put through by Decorey and the lino had the flag up and he was offside but he wasn't offside yeah now next season that's going to be a problem isn't it because you know VAR they're going to have to keep the flag down or the players and the ref are going to have to ignore the flag completely until yeah. the players completely they've been told to keep the flag down that's yeah. what that's the story well let's hope they do but you yeah. know what it's muscle memory it's of course it is yeah automatic thing isn't it it's so going to take them a long time oh, yeah. to adapt and the players and everybody mm. else and the fans it was a very strange version of uh, to the ref to uh, Craig Paulson of you don't know what you're doing it was a, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. You know, it was a really a different, old, got a different, different tune. tune. I've never heard that one before, really. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit like Hamilton. <laughs> I don't believe that. You're sure you got that right? You, you've not got the greatest ear for a melody, no, let's I'm be telling honest. You, well, we'll have to so, ask our Watford correspondents, Toby and uh, David So Walker. the Watford fans have got... So they don't I like, just think they were out of tune. I think something went wrong with it. <laughs> was there nobody at the start of the show that went... Just before kickoff, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Just someone stands up, <laughs> a tuning thing, yeah. And the rookie goes, <laughs> and Unai yeah. Emery he changed tactics about three times during the game, which yeah. is about three times more than Sari has all season. Yeah, thanks. Given, uh, giving uh, Unai Emery a mouthful of invective is a bit of a waste of time, though, yeah. Troy, isn't it? Really, he's yeah. not going to catch most of that, no. I wouldn't think. So, uh, yeah, I think well, he just gave him a shrug. Just, he was just upset, wasn't he? But uh, so, anyway, but this stage yeah. of the season. Three points is what it's all of about, it is, and that's yeah, what Arsenal that, got. That's, uh, that's how they'll look at it, I'm sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, people keep saying, oh, look at the run-in, but Tottenham have got a pretty tough run. They've got City, and mm. they've also got West Ham, who played very well away at Old Trafford, and they'll be right up for it at uh, Tottenham's new ground, as they always are. So that's a tough game for Spurs. So uh, mm. it's going to be a very difficult, tight run-in, I think, for uh, the teams going for top four. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs book club. On Talk Sport. Yeah, time for the H and J Book Club. Every uh, Tuesday, we look at a different book from a different sport, and uh, well, just not so much past judgment, but enjoy. Really, yeah, very and, much uh, so. In this uh, case, in this yeah. case, uh, very timely. It's uh, a golf book uh, this time. We didn't really know when it was decided we'd be doing this that it would be quite uh, such a dramatic uh, Masters uh, with the Tiger winning it, of course. Um, some people would say that was uh, the stuff of uh, Hollywood, but uh, this story really is. Um, Hollywood did get hold of it ultimately, but it's completely true. It sounds stupidly far-fetched in so many different aspects, but is completely true. Uh, 
It's the story of the 2000, sorry, the 2000, the 1913 <laughs> US Open. Uh, it's, the book is called The Greatest Game Ever Played. It's written by Mark Frost and uh, Luke Moore has joined us in the studio to chat about it. Hi, Luke. Good afternoon. That time of the week again. It comes it, around so fast. It does. This yeah. is a good choice. This. Um, yeah, I think wasn't so. wasn't expecting to like it as much as I have. I haven't finished good. it yet, but it's Oh, okay, so really no enjoyable. spoilers then. No, no. no well, okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, isn't it, it's, it's, it's just an incredible story, isn't it? It is, and... Um, yeah, so it's the story of the 1913 US Open, the 19th version of that tournament um, held at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. People will be familiar of the, uh, with the scene of Brookline because it was those um, appalling scenes at um, the Ryder Cup in 1999 hmm. by the US team, Justin Leonard and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, that's where it was held anyway. And at this point, taking ourselves back a, 106 years, golf was dominated by British players. Of course, the sport was invented in Scotland and at that point in the US it was a minority sport really um, the great Masters tournament which we all enjoyed last weekend of course wasn't founded until 1934 so at the head of the sport around this time at the very top was a guy called Harry Varden he'd already won uh, he's a British guy from the Channel Islands um, he'd already won five Opens on these fair shores in the UK and he was part of a triumvirate with James Braid and J.H. Taylor who really helped to popularise the sport um, they were the superstars of the day really I mean Varden himself was probably the biggest superstar in the sport since young Tom Morris who, who pioneered the game in its infancy um, several years before and the book starts with Varden or the story starts with Varden as the undisputed king of the game and, and in the book he comes across as this old school British kind of um, Lord of Orly surveys type character a gentleman also I mean you know, a humble guy but but really a guy who's used to be successful beginnings that's what Very surprised me I mean I, yeah. I always thought I knew him I knew the name I knew he was a great champion you always think golf is a sort of middle class thing this guy was really, really poor and, became, you know... Absolutely. And that, and that tough, does come up. Tough upbringing. And that comes along, Andy, towards the end of the book when we see the, the magnanimity of the man and, and how he um, how he approaches his fellow, or his rival, um, who is, a, at this point, um, a guy called Francis Wiemet. Um Meanwhile, while Varden's doing all this stuff and winning all these Opens, a seven-year-old Francis Wiemet sees Varden playing an exhibition match in, in Massachusetts and becomes instantly hooked on golf. Now, at this point in the US, the golf is really like an amateur pursuit for, for the wealthy, and it's seen as quite vulgar to have to make one's money from the sport. It's kind mm. of a rich man's plaything, right? So We Met becomes obsessed, though, and as a poor kid from immigrant parents, he realises he probably has no chance of ever becoming a golfer, so what he does is he becomes a caddy at Brookline at a young age and works on his game in his spare time and, and uses borrowed clubs and cheap clubs and the rest of it. I mean, you can see where this is going, can't you? So, <laughs> so, so um, fast forward to 1913, We Met was 20 years old and Varda was 43. We Met had picked up a, a very notable amateur victory and was therefore convinced uh, uh, kind of against his better I don't know if you guys felt this but kind of, it seemed like kind of against his better judgment yeah. he was convinced to play in the US Open um, well it's and, he, he, you know he, he, his father wasn't keen was he? he he didn't feel as you said it wasn't the kind of right thing he should be doing yeah. and he was kind of almost talked into it somebody at the club had seen him yeah. play and said you know you you're a contender yeah. Yeah, we, we met his father never really helped it never really endorsed him helped him encouraged him to play golf mm. thought of it as a bit of a waste of time we, we met for his part was only ever an amateur I mean throughout his life um, he is now seen really in retrospect because of what transpires as the father of amateur golf in the US but he, I mean, he spent most of his time working in a sports shop and he refused to turn pro his whole life 
Um, there came a bit later on, just to skip ahead quickly before we get into the book itself, it came a point later on where he became so famous that the, the US Golfers Association decided that he was actually taking money from golf, despite on, on paper as an amateur, and they withdrew his amateur status and said, this is not acceptable. And he, he sort of got a little bit annoyed about that, and eventually it all, got, it all got sorted out and he was made an amateur again. But it's important to stress that he... He never wanted to become a professional golfer. Mm. Anyway, in 1913, the US Open is moved to September from June to accommodate Harry Varden and Ted Ray, these two great superstars of the game. Um, but the reason for that is because at that point they had to travel by ship, they had other exhibition mm. matches to play, they were very much in demand, and really the, the competition and the tournament was a far better prospect with those two in it, and people were very um, interested and excited for the four or five times UK Open champion, the Open Championships champion, Harry Vaughan, to come over. Wiemer is asked by the head of the USGA, as we just touched on, to participate as an amateur, but he says he's had too much time off work already and he doesn't want to do it. He eventually does it, uh, can't, hasn't got a caddy, so he gets a 10-year-old Eddie Lowry, who, by the way, <laughs> yeah. went, who, by the way, I don't know if you guys know this, went on to become Bob Hope's best friend mm. and a multi-millionaire mm. car dealer. Yeah, he was mates with Bing Crosby and used to sell lots of pro-ms. Yeah, yeah. He played a bit as well. I mean, he, he was a kind of... He played yeah. golf. I'm we were around yeah. from a young age, obviously. Yeah. And, and the book really is about this old versus new, US versus UK, amateur versus professional rivalry. 100% true, non-fiction book about a fantastic story. Mm. And, and throughout mm. the story, Eddie Lowry, this 10-year-old caddy, is kind of a, the comic relief, really, isn't he? He sort of buzzes around, we mm. met with all these predictions about how low he's going to shoot today and how great he's going to do. He's, he reminds me a bit of short round in Indiana Jones. <laughs> and uh, he just basically essentially behaves as a 10-year-old boy because he is a 10-year-old boy. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then what happens and what transpires throughout the week of the tournament essentially set a lot of the stall out for what continued with golf for the rest of the century, I suppose. I mean, if you pit, again, <clears throat> if you pitch it so far to Hollywood, you've just told that story. So there's the guy, that, you know, and you've, the two parallel stories of the men, you know, both had sort of dad issues. You yeah. tell their story, and then you bring it together, then you add in a 10-year-old caddy. And at that point, someone, uh, someone, an executive from the studio would say, <laughs> he can't be 10 years old. That's really <laughs> yeah, no one will buy yeah, that. That's too yeah. much. I'd like a kid in yeah. the film, yeah. but that's too We met felt he couldn't, wasn't strong enough to lift the bag, didn't he? Yeah, he well, did. He was yeah. worried about him. The um, bag was bigger than the boy, wasn't yes. it? Really? And if you look at the photos, there are photos in the book towards the end and you can obviously see them online i mean it's just ridiculous the, the yeah. photos of them standing around with the trophy or whatever um eddie larry just just looks like a tiny child which of course he was and i think back in those days a lot of the caddies were children because when you hit 16 the, the, the rules were then that if you wanted to become a professional caddy attached to a golf club you could do that otherwise you weren't allowed to caddy at all mm. so they, they loophole it in a way by having these kids doing it and eddie does it with um, with with Francis to a successful effect, but a quite quite comedy effect. Really. Yeah. Now uh, we'll talk a bit more about what goes on in the uh, competition uh, shortly, but uh, I don't think we're going to blow too much of the rest of the story by playing you a bit of the trailer from the film because this story was made into a film, where, and, and we'll look at the links between film and TV and the guy that wrote the book, Mark Frost, as well, uh, after the uh, travel. But let's hear a little bit of the trailer, and it's the proper old school. It's a Disney movie. <laughs> Sheila yeah. Berth was in it. Uh, Stephen Delane, fine uh, British actor. Directed by the late, great Bill Paxton, by yeah, the way. Bill Paxton, yeah, Bill Paxton, that's right. Yeah. So uh, it's proper in a world. Listen <laughs> to this. He was born with nothing except a dream. There must be a way for somebody who's not a member to compete. You're a caddy. Golf is a game for gentlemen. It's not for your kind. He was given no opportunities except the ones he made. Those men don't have to earn a place in this world. It's given to them. We're not those kind of people. 
But sometimes it takes an outsider. You shot a 71 on the toughest golf course in New England. To change the rules. There we are. That's a little bit of a flavour of the way Hollywood. He came in every Tuesday to do book club. (laughs) His name was in a world where one man (laughs) can read a book. He changed their lives forever. In a world where one man has the time to read so many books. Yeah. Anyway, I haven't uh, actually seen the film, by the way, so I don't know if it's any good. It's um, yeah. I'm just pleased to have a book that hasn't got about four mm. updated versions since I last read it. It looks a bit hokey, (laughs) but um, well, because. You couldn't make this up. It wasn't a difficult sell because what happens ultimately is just ludicrous. So uh, we'll be talking about that. Um, yeah, the kid, by the way, uh, if you're wondering, uh, the young women doesn't get absolutely cuffed and go around in 120. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll tell you more about that. We're discussing. It wouldn't make much of it. Would make much of <laughs> well, he would be rubbish. A 20 year old kid lives over the road from the course. It's absolute garbage. Um, course Varden won. Anyway, the greatest game ever played is the book by Mark Frost, and we'll chat more with Luke uh, very shortly. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hawksby and Jacobs Book Club on Talk Sport. Yes, book club. We are discussing Mark Frost, the greatest game ever played. Varden, we met, and the birth of modern golf. And uh, we're giving you all the background in the first section, but we're just about to play the 1913 uh, US uh, Open. And really, the odds are stacked against the young. Uh, we met, uh, 20-year-old local lad uh, against the, the giants of the game, Varden and Ray. Difference in equipment as well. Varden oh, yeah. had superior equipment, didn't they? Oh, for sure, yeah. And I think um, we learned what we learned before the break about um, We Met, who's a you know, humble guy, a, a, an amateur, a 20-year-old kid, really, um, not expected to do an awful lot, having to be persuaded to enter this competition. And really, his, his kind of swagger and his arrogance that perhaps you need to win big sporting events comes in the form of his 10-year-old boy of a caddy, Eddie Lowry, as we mentioned. And there's a little quote I just wanted to pull before we get into the tournament itself, where um, Francis Weimar is is standing around um, and waiting to to walk on to do his practice before he starts the first round. And um, 
Ted Ray and Harry Vardin walk into the, the scene, if you like, and Eddie says um, to Francis, who do they think they are? The kings of England? And Francis says, well, that kind of is who they are, Eddie, more or less. <laughs> and, and Eddie, 10 years old, don't forget, says, wow, this is America, though. <laughs> now and he's this, got the this confidence. Touches on a stylistic yeah. thing that I think we, Andy and I, both picked up on. It's it, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but he mm. imagines conversations. Of course, Mark Frost uh, wasn't there; he wasn't around at the time. And there are whole pages of books of imagined conversations between. Uh, yeah, it didn't, it didn't have, suddenly reading the dialogue. And I said, "Well, this is a good dialogue." I'm thinking, "How does he know yeah. this?" Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a fair point. There's, there's a certain amount of artistic license. A lot of writers who do historical non-fiction I'm thinking of the Eric Larson's of this world who wrote In the Garden of Beasts and Dead Wake and all the rest of it he does the same thing um, I believe Ben McIntyre who wrote um, Agent Zigzag and a couple of those other bits around the Second World War he sort of adopts that as well I think it's part of the literary it's part of the literary sort of trick isn't it to get you buying into it because Mark Frost's background really for those who don't know he yeah. he, he, he co-created Twin Peaks with uh, David Lynch he wrote a load of Hill Street Blues and he was a TV film as you mentioned earlier Paul, like a scriptwriter so yeah. his interest in this story is probably from the dramatic side of it yeah. so he's going to he's going to implant all these kind of conversations into what goes on which of course brings it to life and i think he wrote the script for the film as well when it came about no and, he, else and he definitely served that. as producer yeah yeah so so i don't know whether how you feel about it for me i don't think it necessarily matters too much but i can well, understand they, they why they've had conversations and come, he can sort of that's why he's done it because you can imagine the sort of thing was said but you can't take it as verbatim no yeah but we're never going to know anyway we're it's the sort of thing that yeah. David Peace was getting a bit yeah. of a kicking for in, in the Damn, U, uh, Damn United and other books as well yeah. so you know people say well how you know he's imagining things so it's fiction but, but it doesn't yeah. make it any less entertaining a uh, couple of, couple of uh, points on the film Tim and Marino both say they've seen the film Tim says it's actually really good definitely worth a watch not as uh, Hollywood cheese as you'd think and Marino says um, it's very good the great thing is that uh, Varden and Ray are not made the villains if anything they're heroes just like we man and that comes across though in fact in mm. the book they don't it come does. across badly do they the one thing I will say about the film is it slightly changes the manner not the ending itself but the manner of the ending to make it more dramatic yeah um, which we'll come on to in terms of, of what actually went on but, but yeah of, of course I mean you know that's that's just that's, that's that would be a temptation, wouldn't it, for a Hollywood movie to stick a love story in there or to... Or to well, there is a bit of one in the film, sure. actually. Sure, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but is it, it's not too severe. No, I don't it? think so. And, and it, but it, what it's not done is it's not, it's not um, sort of taken the temptation of, of bugging them together and sort of butting yeah. heads and being and hating each other and having a fist fight in the locker room and all that kind of stuff, which could go on in a Hollywood film. Yeah. But anyway, so they set up for the, the first round. Now, interestingly, this... A lot of these tournaments around this time were match play. So a lot of the stuff that um, Francis Wiemet was used to playing when he was won the US Amateur and the other tournaments he won was mostly match play. This mm. is obviously stroke play. Um, but as far as I understand it, it was far more common for match play to happen in that environment in that country at that part of the world at, at, at the time. So already he's up against it with a different format. Um, the, 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 the four rounds were also played over two days. Of course, the fields were smaller. Um, and golf was nascent then, particularly in the US. So they played the first round on Thursday morning, the second round on Thursday afternoon, the third round Friday morning, the fourth round Friday afternoon. After the first round, um, Harry Varden's right up there. Um, and so is the great Walter Hagen, by the way, who's involved. Yeah. Um, plays a little cameo here and there. Um, but we met's nowhere to be seen. And then after the second round, at the end of the first day, um, we met is tied for seventh with Walter Hagen on plus five. Harry Varden is, is tied for the lead at plus one, so four shots ahead. Um, 
we make sort of struggles here and there with the occasion, with the weather, with lots of bits and pieces. Um, but but really, it's his caddy that, that has the belief in him and, and, and pushes him through, which sounds crazy given that he was 10 years old. And then really for the third round Friday morning, we met sort of steps up and, 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 and really pulls those four or five shots back. And, and the third round ends with, with we met Ted Ray and Harry Varden, the three big protagonists in the film, um, being tied for first place. Now, when they get to the fourth round, strangely enough and although we saw a pretty truncated leaderboard at the Masters last week and one point there were 12 players within two shots of each other at the end of the final round in this tournament the 1913 US Open we met the amateur Ted Ray and Harry Varden are all joint leaders on plus 12 proper scores back then (laughs) proper scores (laughs) don't talk to me about the equipment or the yardage plus 12 right Um, which means uh, Walter Hagen sadly finished uh, tied for fourth, uh, three shots behind, but he went on to have a, a fine career. I think we can all agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that meant there was an eighteen-hole playoff, an eighteen-hole playoff between the three of them. The three, the two who come over from the UK, who they hold the tournament off for two months for because they're such big names, and the plucky twenty-year-old amateur golfer from Brookline in Massachusetts with the ten-year-old caddy go into an eighteen-hole playoff. The following day. The following day. Yeah. Mm. By this point. It's such a big story that WeMet is still there and has got a good chance of winning that the UK newspapers, the US newspapers have taken this story and run with it. And uh, you mentioned the break there, Paul, exactly how many people were, were, were involved watching for the sec- for the final day's playoff. It was something ridiculous, wasn't it? No, yeah, I think everybody comes... I can't remember mm-hmm. what the actual figure was, but the place is so crowded. Brookline, they can barely cope with the amount yeah. of people that turn up to watch the playoff. And to make this story even more interesting, Francis Wiemek grew up and currently lives at this point on a house just opposite the 17th green. Mm. So the way he's become a golfer has been living so close to the golf course and being so obsessed with golf... He's stealing over there when he can to play holes, and now he's playing the biggest game of his life against the two best players in the world for the US Open Championship. Now, do I, at this point, you haven't finished yeah. it, do, do I spoil well, the ending or what? I, I, do you know what? I think... Mm. I, I, mm, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Should we... I mean, you don't well, you can, kind of, you can kind of guess what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Let's face it, if Varden had hammered him, it wouldn't be much of a story, would it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> OK. Shall we... What do you think? We're giving, I mean, we're giving people sort of... Do yeah. you notice it? Well, if you don't want to look away now, look away now. Think of it like the scores at the end of the news. If you want to finish this book, put, some, put the, the light program on for a second, then come back to us in a couple of minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't diminish your enjoyment of the book to know that Francis Wiemet delivers the round of his life on the final day, yeah. uh, wins in the playoff by five shots. He mm. posts a 72, which is a one under, goes out in 38, comes back in 34, one under par, finishes five shots ahead of Harry Varden and six shots ahead of Ted Ray. Um, he receives a princely sum of of zero dollars for winning that because of his amateur status, yep. which he refuses to relinquish. Harry Varden gets three hundred dollars, sorry, which is about five to six thousand dollars in today's money, and Ted Ray gets one hundred and fifty dollars for his part in it as well. The legacy of this achievement from Francis Wiemert means that golf in the US explodes in popularity yeah. to the point of where it is now clearly the you know, the dominant marketplace for the sport. Well, I think it was two years. There, were, they were, there was about 350,000 people <clears throat> playing golf in the US at, by in 1913, which is staggering if you think of the size of the US. Uh, and within two years, there were two million people playing. So that was the difference he made yeah. uh, in a pretty short space it of time. captured the hearts of the nation um, 
clearly because it showed that an American could mm. compete, a US amateur could compete with these great champions of, uh, of Britain who were the dominant force in golf at the time and really set the stall out and set the tone for what much of what can, came next. I mean, now we see golfers. I mean, it's crazy now. You, you go on to a, any random event. I remember I went to go and see the Travelers Championship in, in Connecticut a couple of years ago. Guy who came about fifth, never heard of him, looked him up on, on PGATour.com or whatever, he had about $3 million that season. Mm. You, you do not need to be a world-famous, consistently winning golfer <clears throat> to earn millions of dollars in the sport. And I'm not begrudging them that, and obviously Tiger Woods has played a big part in that as well for lots of different reasons, but a lot of it can be stemmed and traced back to what happened at the end of September in 1913 at Brookline at the Country Club when Francis Wee met won the 1913 US Open. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story and it's mm. completely true. And there's you know we haven't told the complete story. There's an awful lot more to it than that. Um, yeah. You get over that stylistic thing if it doesn't bother you that effectively he's I, making I up. I quite like it. And the, and the yeah. background is as almost important yeah. as the match. That, and it's yeah. all true, which makes it it's probably one of the most incredible stories in sport. I'd say it? so. And yeah. it, and, it, and it's separated in two parts. So the first part is the background of both the players, the protagonist, and the second part of the book is the tournament itself. It's published by Sphere Publishing. It's available now from all good bookshops. It's part time. Warner, of course, it was published in 2002. Good thing is, you haven't got to worry about different imprints or 10th yeah, anniversary. The story's not going to move it's on. It's not going to change. The story's not going to change. <laughs> yeah. uh, so go and get it now while you can. It's called The Greatest Game Ever Played, and it's by Mark Frost. Next week, if you haven't read this, next week there's a pretty good chance you may have read the book because it had a huge impact on the time and continues. Uh, even clubs like Liverpool continue to buy into oh, much, yeah. the whole philosophy of it. It's Moneyball about mm. Billy Bean. Uh, yes. in the world the of baseball. Days. That's right. It's yeah. uh, it's a fascinating book. I'm not sure what Moneyball about spending seventy million pound <laughs> as goalkeeper, but but um... well, there's, there's <laughs> elements of it. I mean, you need a balance. Yeah. I think yeah, it's fair yeah, to say you, you can't. All when be you leave the studio, say to the producer, "Show me the money." Yeah, 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 yeah. the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Although I do like this one, the readers offer trousers. I do love a readers offer trousers. Yeah. Now this is what, what newspaper did this feature? Yeah, well, Andy? I think this is in the Sun actually. So, oh, okay. You know, so it's obviously going to be quality. So this is a specialist trouser you're, you're considering yes, buying, it's yeah? Yes, the, uh, the Farrah... Don't you use that in the world of menswear? It's only singular, <laughs> isn't it? If you get... Often you get yeah. the, the little clothes shop near me when I was a kid in yeah, Edmonton Green, and the guy would say... What what trousers? What size are you? A trouser. It's only ever trousers, used in your even in your even old here, line of work, Andy. Premium comfort stretch trousers. Yeah. But then it says Farrow have taken their most popular formal trouser. It's a former. Yeah. It's a trouser. Yeah. And made it even better. Yeah. Which is you, you, no one can complain about. Well, this about is a Farrow slack, Andy. This is a quality oh, trouser. Oh yeah, absolutely. Tailored in the usual high grade polyester. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Del <laughs> Boy's <laughs> old English <laughs> vinyl briefcase. Is only yeah. low grade polyester? Let's be yeah. serious. This is the bit I like. It's a it's a feature. It's got two side pockets and one back pocket. That's nice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what trousers haven't got pockets in them? Yeah. Surely every pair of trousers pockets. ever yeah. invented. Machine washable? <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. a good thing. Nice. Anyway, I've, I've ordered a couple of pairs, Evol- so Available to in them. biscuit, taupe and grey. Why not? Yeah. And uh, you see Anne Hegarty from The Chase, and also I'm a Celebrity. Yeah, what's happened she, to her? She's quite amusing, actually. She's, uh, she's basically had to deny that she was a Newcastle football fan. There was a... F- Fan photographed. Uh, I think he was seen um, probably in the Leicester game early before the game. Yeah, because it looks like as if it was daylight. And he's not like a lot of Newcastle. She fans. She went to the match, did she? No, she didn't go to the match. There's a lot of Newcastle fans take their tops off. Yeah, and here's a bloke with you know m- moobs basically. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, people have said, "Oh, I've seen you at the football." Oh, that's a bit unkind, isn't it? No, but she was quite funny about it. She said, "I'd like to confirm this isn't me." Okay, my. 
boobs say are bigger than that she says and okay, uh, you know and so but honestly Poor i mean she was very very amusing but uh, the reaction one follower applauding her for making light of the situation said i can't stop roaring with laughter your sense of humor is simply the best yeah and i thought well, it's made me smile. I'm not going to say I'm roaring with laughter. Very okay. few things in life make you roar with laughter. I, I, I did inwardly. I kept it in. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to embarrass myself on air. And here's another but, typical again. letter written to the papers about Tiger Woods. Yeah. Huge congrats for Tiger Woods for winning the Masters. To come back after everything he's been through and take one of the biggest prizes in sport is remarkable. Has there ever been a better comeback, says Leslie? What's the point? Stop. Everybody said that. For goodness sake. What, honestly, when do you sit down do you know and think... I'd not thought of that. Has there? <laughs> for seriously. Sake. But no, no one's really talked about this. It was a great comeback. And, but has there ever been a better I one don't than think that? Has, really. Can you? Is it fair to look at other people's comebacks and... And let's not do that, eh? No, no. I was grateful to The Sun this morning because I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones. I'm not, not a fan. I've never even watched it. Well, you're not a fan. You've never watched I've it. I've never you seen it. I might love it. You may be a fan if but you watch it. Says, I, think, I, I think you'd like the nudity, Andy. I think beyond that, there may, uh, <laughs> the fantasy aspect of you uh, of it may, may not be your cup well, of tea. Well, it does that, To me, it sounds like Neighbours, but in a sort of fantastical version of Neighbours because it says here in The Sun today, five biggest questions raised by episode one. Yeah. Is Cersei really pregnant? Well, that's something could definitely happen in Neighbours. So we've got the same plot line now. Is Ellie pregnant or not? So this is the same. It's brilliant. Will John and Daenerys split? Well, that's again, you know, that's again yeah. a Neighbours plot line. Who does Arya want to kill? Well, that's happened in Neighbours in the last year. Yeah. Will Jamie be good or die? Well, I don't know. Possibly you could say the same thing about Carl Kennedy. <laughs> Who will end on Iron Throne? They haven't got that in Neighbours. They haven't got an Iron Throne. They haven't got the Iron Throne. There's not one in Lassiter's, is it? It does sound quite, no. It does sound quite soapy, though, the whole yeah, particular thing. Yeah, I think thing. it is. That's, you know, like, you know, if you strip everything down to mm. sort of plot lines like that, it'll sound a bit soapy, won't it? That's, uh, that's true, really. And Boris, Boris, not Boris, uh, Vladimir Putin. I don't know who Boris <laughs> Boris, Putin. Boris, Vladimir Putin. <laughs> McDonald's. What are you singing, me, are you? To give him his full name. Well, yes, I'm, yeah. I, I'm doing everything as a musical now. I'm going to sing yeah, the whole show. After your love of Hamilton. <laughs> Exactly. I did decide, actually, have you noticed that how many sports shows are using the background? Calvin Hor Harris is not hot. Calvin, <laughs> Calvin Horace. Horace. Honestly, I can't Just even calm speak. down, Calvin, Calvin Horace. Horace. Yeah. He's very good, isn't he? He's he not is. quite as good as Calvin Harris. No. And he's, he's track giant. He's Britain's foremost Calvin <laughs> Harris tribute act, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Calvin Harris is giant, you know, with... Uh, uh, I'm really calling Here we go. Man. Here we go. Dustbin man. <laughs> Rag and bone man. You've been listening to Mike Parry too have. often, haven't I you? I have. Rag and bone man. I love the track. It's a great track. But honestly, you do every sports show, every TV trail. Have you heard how many people are using it? I did think yeah. of doing the, the whole of this section with Calvin Harris Horace in the background. Can we find some Calvin Harris Horace? But uh, you've got to have that particular bit, I am a... Giant, you know, but okay. not the bit with him singing. It's they're using the sort of musical version. Fair You're enough. asking a lot from Becky there, really. Well, she, she, maybe for the next bit. Instantaneously, a couple of seconds. Yeah. Unlikely. There you go. Uh, where did I get to? I was about to say something else. Oh yes, Boris Putin. <laughs> Vladimir Putin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yep. Has claimed that last year he earned a hundred and two thousand pounds. That was yeah. his earnings. <laughs> that sounds about right, isn't it? I don't know how he's going to manage on that, yeah. really, with all those, you know, summer palaces he's got. We understand that. he's got a bit stashed away. <laughs> he probably he? has. I think he probably yeah. has. Yeah. Do you know about Drake's sporting curse? 
Uh, yeah, I talked to you about it last week. That's why we do Don't Ask Me. I actually mentioned it on I air with, meant, with I Todd. I've heard yeah. of this before. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Every day's a new day with you, Andy, it's isn't it? You can get things and you discover the same things every day, like a goldfish. Tremendous. Yeah. And, uh, yes, well, uh, he was at um, PSG's 4-1-5-1 defeat, was it? Whoever they were playing on. 5-1 they lost. Yeah. He went to that one as well. He was he? there. So wow. people are laughing and saying, oh, there he is, he's... Them as well. He did for the goons, didn't he, last week? Yeah, yeah. I know. He's, uh, he's incredible, isn't it? So, um, stone stacking, the European Championships are coming up. It's a sport I know very, well, sport. It's a sport I know very little about. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we'll be discussing that very shortly. Um, but before we do that, of course, we have got a, a kind of a related clip, you may recall. Uh, Tony Cascarino uh, features in uh, this one. Uh, this will take you back. Have a listen to this. They were allowed a beer, but there'd be one each on the plane. Because yeah. they used to laugh, so... We've got beer, you know. Dennis would say, "Well, we got one beer on the plate," sure. <laughs> and they'd be there. But he left no one stone, st- uh, stone, st- uh, stone, <laughs> stone. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talk Sport. Hawksby and Jacobs uh, here on Talk Sport. Now, uh, it, it may be a cameo role. Uh, but really, I'd say this this next man is as much as a part of much of talk sport from day one as anybody else. Really. I agree. He's been the voice. I say more important than Alan. Yeah, yeah. Oh eight seven one seven. The voice of talk sport, Steve Hartley. Good, good, good to see you, Steve. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, oh, fellas. Lovely to be here. Oh, that guy. Oh, that's that Steve Hartley. Yes, that guy. Yeah, we've uh, we've had a little bit of love coming in on uh, Twitter for uh, for your work. Uh, where's this one? One of the uh, one of the listeners got in touch. Uh, taking us back to uh, your work on TV. Uh, uh, Steve's coming in, he said, just so much I enjoyed his work as Superintendent Chandler on the bill. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we all loved that. You went, out, you went out in a blaze of glory in the bill, didn't you? It was quite a, quite a storyline you had. It's a bit kind didn't of, I just, of duty I'm, like. They'd been rerunning it on Drama Channel, so I keep... I mean, for me, it's 20 years ago since I did that. So really? It's a, yeah, wow. I mean, it's a, it's a long time. But I kind of go into Sainsbury's and people are going, oh, I saw you last night. And I'm thinking, what on? <laughs> no, pretty much, uh, you, you haven't really aged over the time that we've known you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're in well, thing. Steve. You must, but yeah. uh, no, the Tom Chandler, I mean, it's very strange because actually I only did two years on the bill. Mm. But people think I did a lot longer because, of course, it gets repeated on all these you know, various yeah. channels. Um, I mean, I spent longer playing Bill Sykes in the West End than I ever did playing Tom Chandler. Yeah. Uh, but so it's quite a weird one. Really. I know you listen, Anna. Have you heard yesterday that uh, Andy walked out halfway through Hamilton? It wasn't for him. He decided oh. to miss the. Se- I mean, I, it's the hottest ticket. I, mean, I haven't seen it. Did you not like it, Andy? Not your cup of not tea. For me, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, they were very good. I mean, let, let's be honest. They were fantastic. The audience loved them. This is a personal thing with me. Yeah. I, just, I just don't like musicals. They don't chime with me. Yeah. I just keep thinking. Stop. Stop singing. Can speak. <laughs> Just speak to a normal person. Look, my dad was the same. I used to love watching Elvis movies and Cliff Richard movies when I was a kid, and my dad would go, why is he broken out singing in the middle of that? Yeah, but in Hamilton, they they don't... Break out into song. It's all. It's an operetta, really. Yes. Yeah. And Le Miserable is a bit the same. Yeah, actually, that's so another one I couldn't. Yeah, there you go. You see, I, but I like Le Miserable. It's one of that and Oliver, my two favourite music. Have you been? Have you been in Le Miserable? I haven't. Um, to be honest with you, I did get asked by Cameron McIntosh about doing the part of Javert when I'd finished doing Bill Sykes for him. Um, It was too big a sing for me. I couldn't sing it. And oddly enough, uh, Michael Ball's going back in and doing Javert at a a kind of 
anniversary. I think it must be the 40th anniversary right. of the Miserable. Not, not Ricky Javert. No, not Ricky Javert. <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a distinctive... Uh, speaking voice so, yeah. so I just wonder as a, as a singer is it, are you a good singer is that something you, you tend I to do it sounds like tune. Jimmy Somerville did you not know that yes, it really really <laughs> high voice <laughs> exactly <laughs> great, Mark Lester I am yeah. not that would be fantastic <laughs> no it, I mean it, yes I can hold a tune but it doesn't go it never ever goes too high really yeah. it just starts to sound Somewhere else. You're right on Scott Walker numbers. Yeah, it makes, yeah, it makes Bonnie Tyler sound smooth. <laughs> do you now, do a high voice? Can mm. you do a high voice? I don't know if I can. No, it, it gets nasal. Yeah, it, does. it gets all nasal. Uh, now you're doing a couple of interesting projects. Um, we'll come on to the, the TV project at the moment, but you're involved in a in a, a game, a, a virtual reality PlayStation project. I am, which is uh, coming out on May the 28th. Yeah. Uh, it's called Blood and Truth. Uh, which has been developed by Sony London, and it's a VR. I mean, it's PSVR, and it's uh, you know it's going to be a sh it's going to be a huge game, a huge action game, and it's completely immersive, and you're in your own action movie, really. Wow! And it's uh, it's quite. And you did all the motion capture stuff for this, did you? All the motion capture, performance capture stuff. Yeah. Which it, it's like the third time I've done it, and it's it's a whole new ball game. So people actor. don't know you kind of got these. Is it still the same system? The kind of little dots on your body. Yeah. So you're wearing a lycra suit. Yeah. Um, and you have little dots on your face and mm. your body. Yeah. Uh, and you have a camera on your head, and then you have a lot of cameras around you on a green screen in a studio, all the time. Mm. And it, it, it's almost a perfect hybrid between theatre and filming, really, because yeah. it demands the physicality of theatre but you still have to maintain the focus because you're in close-up all the time that one would have when you're doing a film. I mean, the only thing about it is there's no help. You're just... You're in a fairly sterile environment mm. enacting um, whatever it is that you're enacting. So it's like being a child again in your bedroom. Yeah. You know, I watch my daughter Tess in her bedroom playing with dragons or whatever, yeah. and she's totally immersed in it, and... It's a bit like doing so. You're that, acting really. to nothing, really. To nothing. You've got nothing mm. to work to, um, and so you, it's totally within your imagination. Wow. You're you're told what environment you're in, yeah, uh, but there's nothing around you. But you're in just some hangar somewhere, but you're told yeah. you're in a dungeon or yeah, you're in absolutely. a water or in a co yeah, and yeah, yeah. There's five dragons landing or flying. Yeah. So what, or what will we see when we get the pre the game? Will we see you or a representation of you? You or? see me, uh, but it's an enhanced version of me. Wow. It's a kind of avatar version of me. Do you me. like you like your you like what they've come up with? Uh, it's interesting. I mean it kind of looks a bit a bit like a cross between <laughs> Ray Liotta and a lizard and me. It's kind of it's not the most flattering yeah. uh, um, uh, image but I mean, I, I, I play a gangster in it who is essentially thinks he's a legitimate businessman and likes to be seen as such, but he's not. And he's called Anthony Sharp. Um, and he's the main protagonist in it, which you, as the player, yeah. um, are kind of going up against. But, I mean, there is some amazing set pieces in it. And I, I put on the glasses and, and actually went into the game. And mm. it's... It's a very odd thing standing opposite yourself yeah, yeah, when obviously. you walk into a room and interacting with yourself. It's a it's a strange thing. And who else is in the cast of it's this? It's got a great cast that they put together. And one of the things that Sony London Studio wanted was a uh, people who had theatrical experience. Yeah. So they've got Colin Salmon, who oh, was yeah. in the Bond movies yeah, and uh, in the film Mortal Engines. And they've got Natasha Little, who uh, recently was in The Night Manager. 
you know, they've put together a really, really good cast. And you've got Bill another Brown. one coming up, Squadron 42? Mm. Yeah, Squadron this 42. This one's also got a yeah. great cast. A, an unbelievable cast of people. I mean, I, yeah. I've got to say, that was the first one I ever did. And this is, the, this is another game. Yeah. Another game yeah. that's coming out probably sometime this year. And, you know, it's quite remarkable. I, I, I did it, and, I walk, you know, you walk on set, and all of a sudden there's, there's kind of Gary Oldman and Gillian Anderson and people like Mark Strong in it. And wow, we? Oh, okay, hang on, we're in something here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, the, the whole gaming thing, the whole gaming situation now, mm. uh, I think it's something like $137 billion yeah, a yeah, year yeah. that it creates. Yeah. So it's more than music and film... And TV put together. Oh, no, right? it's massively popular. And the, so the games that they're producing now are not just... I mean, I never got beyond Space Invaders, really. Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I mean, really, I, that was about my limit. Mm. The games they're producing now are... They take you into so many completely different areas. Yeah. And also, the gamers are aware that they've got a responsibility, that it's not just entertainment that it's educational as well and that it has such an influence on so many young people. Yeah. Um, and the TV companies are kind of aware of it as well. Yeah, and yeah, I think sure. a lot of the TV companies are developing TV series around the games that are being developed yeah. as well. We're going to see you on Sky as well, aren't we? Soon, the old traditional and the old money. Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be on yeah. the old TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. I'm doing mm. a series called Brassic. Um which is written by Danny Brocklehurst, who wrote uh, The Street and Clocking yeah. Off. I mean, oh, he's good. a fantastic writer. And he's co-written that, actually, with the actor that's playing the lead, Joe Gielgud. Yeah. And it's got Michelle Keegan, and it's about a group of young people up north and uh, and their battle for survival, really. It's not dissimilar to Shameless in many yeah. ways. Our old mate Tim Keyes. Tim Keyes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, is he? Fantastic, yeah. yeah. Good. So, Excellent. Steve, where are you from originally? Because we always have this thing, because often you're asked to do a northern accent. For the I, trails. I'm, I'm, is that I'm a Yorkshireman originally, oh, really? yes. Okay. But I've been down here for 30-something, you know, 35 wow. years now. So, And also, my mum, which is why I'm a Tottenham supporter, my mum came from Tottenham. Right. Um, so I had family from Tottenham. So although my dad was very northern, my mum was actually... Quite London, I suppose, wow. in, in a way. So I've got uh, a bit of a neutral accent. Amazing. Now. This this association then with talk sport. Yeah. I mean, it's been it has been kind of good twenty years. You've you yeah. very much become the the go to guy, the recognisable voice of all the trails. Yes, I mean, uh, I love coming in and doing them actually. Mm. And you know, myself and you know the creative team, Peter and Liz Peter, and yeah, John sure, and yeah. Matt. I mean, we have a really good time doing them. And I mean, we seriously have come up with some funny stuff, and they come up with some very funny stuff. And, I mean, it just kind of carried on. I think what happened is because when I first started doing the voices, I was also in the bill at the same time. Yeah. And I think people started to go, wait, that's the same guy that's doing this. Hmm. And so the voice on TalkSport started to develop its own persona yeah. in a way, <laughs> um, which it has because a lot of the trails that, you know, that I do for you guys or for Alan, they become quite personal. Some, yeah, 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 yeah. Some of the stuff that we throw out so in fact <laughs> my kind of talk sport trails have become almost like a personality in their own right <laughs> playing um, a part which i do get a lot yeah. of you know, every time i get in the back of a cab i can guarantee you as after as two you minutes the driver yeah. will go you're the guy of talk sport. <laughs> such a that's what they remember you for yeah. yeah and it's uh yeah they do they go, you're the guy of talk sport. i'm like oh yeah. yes i'm the guy of he's won a few awards isn't he peter and his yeah, team, they have, so. yeah they no they no i mean they did a couple of years ago yeah some of the very innovative trails that they did and 
uh, you know, very funny and witty trails yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4 p.m. on Talk Sport. So there we are. That was this afternoon show. You're going to try and cultivate a voice like that, are well, you? you? Honestly, you do. I know Steve. You won't mind me saying he's a pretty heavy smoker. Oh, is he really? Oh, yeah. So you, you have to you have to smoke about tw- about 40 a day to get a voice like that. Blimey, okay. It's not healthy, of course. Well, I don't, he might have given them up. I mean, <laughs> well, he might have done. He might have done. Then he yeah. might sound like this if he starts giving them up. Yeah, he, yeah, he could, could do. Yeah, <laughs> he did struggle with a high voice though, so I doubt it. I doubt it. Anyway, that's us. We'll catch up with you uh, tomorrow. Have a fine evening. Thanks for downloading us. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.